Welcome to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Talk radio to inspire, inform, and stimulate. Bringing you enlightened discussions with authors, creatives, innovative business and health professionals, and ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Sharing their expertise and life stories. Making a difference, one word at a time. Now here's your host, Vicki St. Clair. Welcome everybody, welcome, welcome. Coming in the second half of today's show, why does somebody choose to become a psychiatrist? Well, if you ask Dr. Edward Hollowell that question, he may point to the title of his latest book. It's a memoir and it's called Because I Come from a Crazy Family. He's a leading authority on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and his memoir pokes at the stigma of mental illness from bipolar disorder to ADHD and shares with love how he beat the odds to build a successful life and career. But first, why did a successful educator start writing novels for his students? And how did he end up becoming an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author? What does he say about the Me Too movement and what we should be telling our kids? And how can men become better fem- feminists? Well, joining me to discuss that and his new book is my guest, Brendan Kiley. Um, his new book is called Tradition. Uh, Tradition is not an excuse is the full title of the book. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Brendan. He's, um, as I said, a New York Times bestselling author of All American Boys, The Last True Love Story and The Gospel of Win- uh, Winter. His work has been uh, published in numerous languages, 10 languages, 10 languages. He's received several awards, including a Coretta King. Cot, I can't speak, a Coretta Scott King Author Honor Award. And he was twice awarded Best Fiction for Young Adults and uh, by the American Library Association and was a Kirkus Review's Best Book of 2014. So he's certainly had some success writing these novels. And again, the book is called Tradition. My, best, my guest is Brendan Kiley. Brendan, you'd better come on and start talking. I'm having a hard time this morning. I, 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 you know what? Every time I, I hear that bio, I think to myself, who is that guy? I don't even know him. <laughs> so, so thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we're pleased to have you here. And um, lots of things to talk about today. So I want to just begin. Um, I know you were. Are you still a teacher? Are you still practicing uh, as a teacher? No, I'm, I'm not, and I miss it. Um, <laughs> I really miss being in the classroom with the students, and I, I really miss my role as an advisor when I was a high school teacher. Um, and, but uh, but it, my life as an author uh, puts me on the road too often, so I'd be a lousy teacher because I'd be, you know, my absences would, would, uh, would make me fail my own class. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, what, what age did you used to teach? I used to teach 10th grade English, so, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds and in a, and I've taught electives for, for ninth through 12th grade. So um, I taught all of high school, but I primarily taught 10th grade English. Right. And I read that um, your drive to start writing books was really found, uh, came about because you were always looking for good books to share with your, your pupils. How true is that? <laughs> well, it's, it, it is partly true, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to write. I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to try to publish um, fiction, um, but I also was, uh, partly, I was looking around to give uh, give books to my students, but I was looking also to change the curriculum, and I wanted to incorporate what I thought were texts that were um, we could use to st- 
study what we could also use to think about and reflect on social consciousness and, um, and issues of social justice. And so um, I ended up deciding that, you know, the, the kinds of work that I, that I maybe I really wanted to write were, were novels that I hope were both works of literature in their own right, but also conversation starters for uh, conversations about social justice. Yes, and I think this one certainly is. So let, let's just talk a little bit about how you got started writing. Is this something you'd always wanted to pursue that you always did, or how did that come about? Yeah, even as a even as a kid, you know, I when I was um, when I was in middle school, I was you know I'd write my own rap lyrics. You know, I, I I thought one day I would I would get into a rap group, and that didn't pan out. But um, the um, the the work that I was doing even back then really was writing poetry. I mean, that's what rap is, poetry. And the uh, the lessons I was learning playing around with language in that way brought me into poetry, brought me into storytelling. Um, and it was always something I kind of worked on in the background in private in my life. But it wasn't until I was a working professional in New York City and I was, I started sort of take it more seriously. And, uh, you know, I had to, I had to go to work at the school, but I would get up at 5 a.m. and I would write from 5 to 7 every day. Um, and that's, that's how I really got serious about it. And, um, I was very fortunate that, um, that slowly but surely I, over the course of seven years, I pieced together my first novel. Yeah. And so you've been doing this for how long now? I've been a, pro- I've been a professional writer, a published writer since 2014. And um, I, I stopped teaching at the end of the uh, academic year in 2014. Right. Well, you, we, I, I mean, I, I touch on a couple of things that you've uh, won as awards. Uh, and uh, the, the list is really quite long and quite impressive. So uh, kudos to you. We've done a lot in a very short period of time there. Thank you very much. I feel I feel incredibly honored, and um, I, you know, I think for the rest of my life, I'm not sure there could ever be a, a more inspiring accolade in some regard uh, than than getting to be on stage for the Coretta Scott King Awards. I mean, it's just it's a remarkable experience, and in fact, the only time that it's that an award has been maybe more even astounding is when um, my co-writer and I, Jason Reynolds. Uh, handed one of our uh, awards, the Walter Dean Myers Award, to Congressman John Lewis, whose book March won the, that Walter Dean Myers Award the next year. And to be on stage with an American hero like Congressman Lewis was unbelievable. Right, <laughs> right. It's amazing all these spin-offs that you get from uh, publishing a book. Right. Um, so how? Let's talk a little bit about your first book because I'm not at all familiar with your work until I saw Tradition. Um, how has your how has your writing progressed and developed since you... This is your fourth book now, right, Tradition? That's right. It is. It's my fourth book. And in in some ways, this is a book that's sort of a, a, a culmination of a couple of different um, uh, passions. So um, on, on the one hand, like I said before, I'm, I'm always interested in conversations about social justice. And I think that novels are, in fact, excellent um, spaces in which to have those conversations, um, and I uh, and 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 so my love for having that kind of a, a, a dramatic, character-oriented book that that deals with contemporary life um, is what all my work does. But also because I was a teacher, because I love to read, my work I hope also references a lot of other previous novels, work that I admire. And so the Gospel of Winter, 
while it was a story about the scandal of abuse in the Catholic Church and about a 16-year-old boy who's trying to decide whether or not he should tell the world that he's been abused by his priest, it's also um, a conversation uh, with the novel Frankenstein. Because in, in my mind, I think there are some interesting parallels between the story of, of, of Dr. Frankenstein and his abandoned creation and the kinds of experiences that, um, that people have when their institutions fail them and don't serve them um, mm-hmm. and in some regards abandon them. Yeah. Um, and likewise, Tradition now is a book where I'm trying to have a conversation about misogyny and the kind of toxicity that, that boys breed um, in each other and encourage in each other that makes the world more dangerous for the young women around them. Um, but I'm also having a conversation with Paradise Lost and the story of the Garden of Eden, because I think we can go all the way back to that story and begin to ask questions about how stories and narratives have for too long told us and sent us messages about an inappropriate hierarchy of, of uh, you know, in the family or in the household or um, a kind of maybe unfair kind of injustice of placing blame on, on, on the women when, in fact, the men have a lot to be accountable to. Yes, yes. Um, I want to just read a, a section here to our listeners. Um, it's, the, it's on page one. It's for the record. And, and then I want you to just explain what's going on here and, and a little bit more about the book. But um, Julie Devereaux, Jules Devereaux, is the main protagonist. And she says, I once heard another girl put it like this. This is a boys' school, and they accept girls here too. At Fulbrook, they told us to be ready to take on the world but then they told us to do it quietly. What if I wanted to be loud? What if I needed to be? So what's happening? So I really appreciate you highlighting that line because I wrote and wrote and wrote. It's, it's, it's a dual narration book. So one of the narrators is Jules Devereaux. The other narrator is James Baxter. One girl and one boy at the school. And the Um, I wrote and wrote and wrote trying to figure out these characters' voices, but it wasn't until I finally landed on that line that you just read that I really felt like I heard Jules for the first time, and I threw out everything else I had written and and started from scratch working from that line. Because when I was doing research, this is a book that takes place at a boarding school. It's a, a boarding school that has deeply misogynistic traditions, the boarding school that... It's, it's, um, it's, 
it's a it's a toxic environment. And so Jules, who's sort of speaking up about that, is one of the two main characters whose role in the book is to is to really begin to help the institution think about how it can do a better job. Yeah. And so I'm sure you've run into this. We've certainly had a lot of examples around this in the media lately, unfortunately. But what was it that sparked the idea of doing this as a book for you? So um, there were two moments, really. Um, The first was um, in 2015, Emma Salkowitz graduated from Columbia University. And you may remember that Emma Salkowitz was the brave, courageous young woman who dragged her mattress around the campus of Columbia University um, so that she wouldn't be silenced, so she wouldn't go unheard. Um, Columbia University did not want to um, really address the fact that she had been sexually assaulted, um, and she, in an act of protest, um, dragged her mattress around from class to class. And And in 2015, when she graduated, she dragged the mattress up onto the stage for graduation. And I... I, I was deeply inspired by that courage um, and, and all the Emma Salkowitzes out there, the, the women who've been speaking up for so long about the culture of silence and, and shaming um, that, that really helps enable um, the, the dangerous, toxic, misogynistic environment that, that breeds harassment and, and assault. Um, and the other moment of inspiration for me was that after we heard the, the Hollywood Access tape uh, revealed on the campaign trail, and we heard so many people in the media excuse it as, well, that's just locker room talk. I saw a photo of a boys' football team in Portland, Oregon, and they were all wearing wild feminist T-shirts, and the caption below the photo said, not in our locker room. And so the other half of the inspiration is, for all those women out there who've been speaking up for so long, there are some men out there who are listening or who want to be better listeners. And I, w- I wrote the other half of the book thinking about those boys and, and what kind of effect they could have on a, on a school community if they could rally more boys to, to think like them. Right. Powerful messaging. We need to take a quick break. Um, lots more questions for you when, you when we come back. My guest is Brendan Kylie, and his book is called Tradition. Please stay with us. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Parkinson's disease affects as many as one million people in the United States. At the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, it's our mission to beat this disease. To learn about the Parkinson's Disease Foundation, or if you want to help support our work, visit our website, pdf.org, or call us at 800-457-6676. In the Northwest, contact the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation at nwpf.org. Looking for unconditional love, an exercise buddy, or a great listener? Paws has the dog or cat of your dreams, just waiting to meet you. We've made thousands of perfect matches since 1967, because everyone needs a warm, safe place to call home. Find out more today at paws.org, or call 425-787-2500. 
Coming June 18th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. For too many people, the need to make a living is a source of angst. We feel trapped in wage slavery, afraid to make the big move. We numb our true talents. We feel adrift, lacking purpose. Career expert Maya Dewar designed her six keys to liberation-based livelihood as a framework to help you break through that pattern fog and set you on a positive new direction to find your highest calling and work that matters. Tune in Monday at noon Pacific time for the live show or 6 a.m. on Fridays and catch up with past shows at conversationslive.net. Chat with Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Listen to podcasts of past shows at conversationslive.net. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. We are talking with New York Times bestselling author Brandon Kylie. His new book is called Tradition. Uh, and I want to uh, begin this segment, Brandon, with another question. Uh, segment from the book. This is actually a quote up front. It's by Arundhati Roy, who says there's really no such thing as the voiceless. There are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. And I know you're very passionate about um, having this conversation and especially with younger people about getting things out into the open. Why do you think so many people don't talk openly about um, what we call now the Me Too movement, the, what we call sexual harassment. Yeah. You know, I, 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 think, um, I think that many men in particular feel threatened by the conversation because they will be forced to reckon with their own behavior and, and attitudes and complicity. Um, and, and, and that scares uh, I think scares men into silence, um, and it and it and, and their silence then I think can be an imposition <laughs> in a, in a space. So if, for example, if we're sitting around a boardroom, and um, you know one person makes a comment about sexual harassment or something, and one guy says, "Well, let's not talk about that here," it, it, it shuts down the conversation. And I think the problem is. So often the case with anybody who has privilege, when we're when we're experiencing discomfort, sometimes for the first time, um, we we don't know how to handle it, and um, and it's a real shame that people with privilege are so accustomed to being so comfortable. And I'm speaking specifically about men in this in this uh, conversation. Um, that the moment we feel a little bit of discomfort, we try to shut it down, instead of thinking about well, how uncomfortable has it been for so many women especially in these situations where they're around men who say inappropriate jokes at work or men who are or young men who are cracking jokes or, or making comments in the hallway in the school. And, you know, people are already uncomfortable. And so those of us who are, who are maybe experiencing it for the first time should have the courage to, to keep that conversation open right. um, so that it can be a safer place for everyone. Right. And then as far as women, I mean, we have to play a part in this, too. We have to learn to speak up. We have to learn to uh, stop pandering to. I'm thinking of some music videos, for example, that I've seen, which are very misogynistic. They're, 
they really marginalize women. And um, we have to stop participating in those kind of things. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and that's part of the reason why I really wanted to have two narrators in the book, because I thought it was it, it, the story can't be told from either just a girl or just a boy. In my opinion, it really required a story to be told from both a boy and a girl, and um, and 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 because I think we ha- we do have to find ways to work together, um, but we have to work together to to make some of those changes that that really I feel like the problem is sort of bred in many of the heavily male-dominated spaces. I think about those locker rooms that I was a part of when I was a high school athlete. I think about the graffiti that I saw scratched on the doors in the men's room uh, at my school, but also in nearly every men's room in a bar in New York City where I live. I mean, there's there's a kind of prevalent attitude in these male-dominated spaces that, that we need to go and, and, and address. <laughs> right. And women can do it, and men can do it, and we all should be addressing it in those spaces, I think. Right. So what do you think we should be telling our girls and our boys, if there's, you know, if you have to break it down to a, a short message, what do you think we need to be telling them both? Well, it, it's, um, I think it's important to remind girls that um, they can speak up um, because our culture is so um, accustomed to silencing women. I think it's important that we remind girls, as you were saying, we ha- it, 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 you you should speak up. You 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 have the right to, and um, your your message matters. And I think the message that I personally would like to send to the young men out there is that we have to be better listeners. We have to um, learn to sit and hear the stories. We have to believe them, and we have to begin to practice more empathy. And I really appreciated your first question about um, about my teaching. Because the way that it was framed was, you said, "Do you still practice?" And that that really is, I think, exactly the the, the right word for it. Um, because we have to we have to practice the habits in order to make them habits. And I would say to the young men, we should be practicing empathy more. I, I can think about all the times that I was growing up, and I was told, you know, I had to be strong, and to be strong meant I had to push myself, and to push myself meant. I wouldn't act girly and those kinds of statements. That, that's not practicing empathy in any way whatsoever. That's practicing a kind of shutting off of the emotions. That's practicing a kind of misogyny. Right. So instead, I would encourage us to, to be practicing empathy. Right. I, I think we have to also appreciate that for many uh, men, particularly, who behave this way. And, you know, I know a lot of women who, who do... Uh, prefer to be subordinate to men. I, I have to be honest about that. I do know some women like that. But I think, you know, with, with guys, it still has to be a practice because they can't use the excuse, well, when I grew up, okay, that happened then, but now is now, and we need right. to start learning all together and moving forward all together on this page. I agree. I agree. It's no more excuses. <laughs> uh, no, no. So, um, what do you think, um, what do you hope listeners take away from your book other than starting a conversation? I mean, this is a novel that you're, you're talking about here. We've, we're talking about uh, a very real situation here. But, but the book, it, Tradition, is actually a novel. So what do you hope people will take away from that? Well, first, I, I mean, and I, I thank you for reminding us that it's a novel because I think I hope the first takeaway is that this is 
um, you know, that people walk away from this with the feeling that they walk away from the novels that they love. And for me, the novels that I that I love, I I really get invested in the characters' lives, um, and I feel like they're they're real people. And so for me, one of the takeaways would be I hope people walk away from this and say, you know, I know someone like Jules Devereaux, or I know someone, or I want to know someone more like James Baxter. For me, that's that, that's an ultimate takeaway that would that would mean so much to me because I feel like then I'm doing my job. But the second part of my job then is for part of the takeaway from this book is that um, in instances of injustice, it's incumbent upon us uh, to do something about it. And, um, and I think a, a novel can be motivating to remind us that um, we know this is going on out there. We can't just talk about it. We have to also act. And I think we, uh, one of the takeaways from the book is we're, we're stronger if we act together. Um, and so for young folks, I always remind them that I know you see some of the injustice in your community out there, but don't go try to fight it by yourself. Build a team um, and, um, and, and, and organize a team to, to address it. And so one of the takeaways for the book for me would be here are some ways that we can work together to begin to address the issues of misogyny in our community. Right. I love the way that you wrote it in the two very distinct voices, the the boy and the girl. And I, I think it comes together really well and definitely shows, uh, you know, different points of view there. So, Brandon Kiley, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate talking about tradition with you. It means a lot to me. Thanks a lot. Uh, and we can find out more about Brendan at brendankiley.com. And uh, Kylie is K-I-E-L-Y, brendankiley.com. Uh, the book Tradition. Please stay with us. We're taking a quick break. We'll come back. Our next book is called Because I Come from a Crazy Family. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Let's see if I... I guess that... <sighs> this just isn't working. Knowing you have a great idea for a book is one thing. Writing it, another. So what's stopping you? Maybe you can't find time. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you wrote a couple of chapters, then disappeared down a rabbit hole. Or maybe you'd rather someone else write it for you. Partnering with the right coach or ghostwriter can make all the difference between talking about your book and finishing your book. As an award-winning writer and strategic consultant, Vicki St. Clair's storytelling credits span from business, health, self-help, and memoir to New York Times and USA Today best-selling anthologies. Vicki partners with people just like you at the exact level you need, whether you need a little encouragement, editorial guidance, or full-blown ghostwriting and consulting services. If you're serious about telling the story you know is inside you, stop procrastinating. Let's get your story down on paper. Contact Vicki today. Email Vicki at VickiStClair.com or call 1-800-495-7617. See more about Vicki and her work at VickiStClair.com. Oh, yeah, that could work. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. 
If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you. Call 425-269-4772. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Join us live every Monday at noon on Alternative Talk 1150 or stream live from conversationslive.net. Need help getting started with self-help? You came to the right place. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. And in this segment, we're talking with Dr. Edward Hallowell. He's the best-selling author of Driven to Distraction, and more than 20 books on attention deficit disorder and emotional well-being. He's a leading authority on ADHD. Uh, he's a speaker, the host of the podcast Distraction, and the founder of the Hallowell Centers for Cognitive and Emotional Health in Boston, New York, San Francisco, and Seattle. So there's several centers there. Um, and we're talking today about his new book. It's called Because I Come... From a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. Dr. Edward Hallowell, welcome. Very nice to be with you. And it's uh, a pleasure to have you here. And you go by the name Ned, even though uh, your, your name on the book here is Edward Hallowell. And um, you mentioned to me before the break it was a, a wasp thing. And I just want to start off the book here. You say, I come from an old New England wasp family, characterized by what I call the wasp triad. alcoholism, mental illness, and politeness. (laughs) You could be tipsy, even quite sloshed. You could be a bit off, even mad as a hatter. But none of that really mattered as long as you were polite. Sounds like an English thing, too. (laughs) So so childhood wasn't particularly easy, I gather, (laughs) for you. Well, no, it was was different, put it like that. And... and, um, uh, it was it, everyone was they were they all meant well and uh, but they were uh, most of them were drunk or crazy most of the time and and uh, so the, there was a fair amount of chaos there wasn't the sort of structure and predictability that you you you'd sort of want for children but we were allowed to roam free and and uh, play and get into mischief and and uh, uh, you know it was it, it, the, the memoir is is there are no real demons in it, other than my stepfather a bit. But uh, and there are wonderful eccentrics and wonderful characters and and people whom I whom uh, whom, whom I love very much. Most of them are in heaven, but they they uh, they shaped me in wonderful ways and and really uh, prepared me to be a psychiatrist. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> lots of uh, material. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, 
So my mom always used to say to me when I had heartbreak or something like that, it'll make good copy one day. And, and this is your <laughs> this is your equivalent of your copy, right? Yes, yes exactly. Yes. Um, so your father was manic depressive. Your mother was an alcoholic. You had an mm-hmm. abusive stepfather. Um, did you know as a child that this was such a dysfunctional situation? No, no, which is interesting. It, it just seemed like life. And, um, you know, and, and I, I visited other families and, and uh, noticed that they were, they were different. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't feel envious of them, uh, really. Uh, and I and I loved my family. You know, I I, I guess I was naive, you could say, or or uh, I I I didn't I didn't feel ashamed, which is interesting. I I felt proud of my family. I I I, I loved our differences. I I felt proud of our uh, ways of doing things. So uh, you know, and 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 one of the I suppose one of the reasons I wrote the memoir, other than my my wife insisted that I write it is is, is to give people permission to uh, uh, be real and and talk about you know there, there's such a stigma around mental illness and whatnot that there really shouldn't be and, and you know in the book I'm very open about you know what you just mentioned that right the the various mental illnesses and addictions that you know my my brother uh, who graduated nearly number one in his class at Harvard and summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa junior year and spent two years in London doing a fellowship basically living with C.P. Snow and came back and wrote cover stories for Life magazine and then cracked up and, and uh, had in, inherited the manic depressive illness from my father and was also alcoholic and gay and, and uh, but then joined AA and, and lived the rest of his life sober, living with a woman. Very interesting pairing. They loved each other. Mm-hmm. She was heterosexual and he was homosexual and, and uh, uh, never regained his intellectual muscle, but, but was a wonderful, sweet man and, and uh, living with this woman. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I write about him in, as, a, as a really sweet and, and heroic kind of man. And I write about him with pride, and, and and I and I just think people ought to be open about the the various kinds of uh, you know truthful and open. Uh, life is not all about uh, you know perfectly presented people, you know, and and, and uh, without without uh, differences. And 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 I think particularly around so-called mental illnesses, there, there's there's a uh, you know, we don't have Hallmark cards. I hope you get over your latest manic episode, or I hope you get over your latest bout <laughs> with depression. And and, uh, right. and and I just think we ought to be open about it. And and in many ways, celebrate the differences. The book is an attempt to celebrate the differences. Yeah, and I know, think and that comes through. And I think it comes through that it does come from a place of love. And mm-hmm. and also your sense of humor comes through, which I think is, <laughs> is imperative in life, period, these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to ask you, you say in the book that you heard a voice, a voice came to you when you were 11 years old and said you were going to be a psychiatrist. Tell right. us, tell us what happened. Well, it was technically it would be called an auditory hallucination, <laughs> which, which is a sign of psychosis. So I, so I suppose you could say I had my 
well, my one moment of psychosis, but it was it was a very distinct voice that said, you should be a psychiatrist. And I barely knew what a psychiatrist was. So, uh, uh, so you know, maybe it was uh, a voice from beyond telling me. In, in any case, the voice did come to me, and, and, uh, and I, I pretty much forgot about it, went about my business. But obviously I didn't completely forget about it because here I am talking to you on the phone now, and I've been a psychiatrist for some 35 years. And, right. and uh, it, it did make sense that I should do this because, you know, my family was, was very, very much, uh, uh, you know, colored with mental illnesses of all kinds. You know, my virtually everyone had one diagnosis or another, and and, and some were really very crippled by them, and others less so. But uh, right. it 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 made sense that that voice would come to me, whatever where wherever it came from. And, right. Right. And that I was able to do it was was you know, as my grandmother would have said, not jolly likely, but but it happened. And, 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 well, it's and, true. I mean, you 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 overcome you overcame some great great odds on that. But I, I want to just jump into the at the in the epilogue. We're going to jump to the back of the book for a second here, mm-hmm. um, because you write in 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 the epilogue that in this book you left out the writings of your other works, your twenty plus books. And your work with the what you call the fascinating condition, misleadingly called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which you discovered you had in 1981. Right. Why do you call it um, a con- misleadingly called ADHD? Well, it, it's not a deficit of attention at all. It's a, if anything, it's an abundance of attention. You just have trouble directing it. Uh, the ADD mind is like a toddler on a picnic. It goes wherever it wants to go. So the, the challenge is to direct it uh, and to control it. But it, it's not a deficit at, at all. If it were a deficit, it would be a form of dementia, which, which it isn't. It's a, it's, it, you, the, you know, the, the, we ADDers, have, we have a, a ton of attention. We just have, have trouble controlling it. So, mm-hmm. and, then, and then hyperactivity is often not present in the least. And then I don't see it as a disorder. I see it as a trait. And if you manage it right, it, 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 in fact, is a, it's a downright asset. Right. Uh, if you don't, it can ruin your life. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, which makes it so interesting that it can. And for most of us, it's a little bit of both. It's a, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, and it's, a, it's, a, it's also an asset. So, and my job as, as a practitioner is to maximize the beneficial part of it and minimize the the, the destructive part of it, and uh, you know, because it can, if you don't know about it and know how to deal with it, it can, it can ruin your life. And the prisons are full of people with undiagnosed ADHD in the halls of the addicted and the unemployed. Right. But right. on the other hand, so most entrepreneurs have it. Some of the most gifted, successful people in the world have it. Yeah, it, I, and, I, which I makes see it, it so interesting. I see. Know. I see that. Um, so, in, in the, also in the epilogue, you, you share a story of a man and his dog who were begging in the street in New York, and you gave him some money and, you know, just kind of went about your day, and then later you thought that by all rights, that could have actually been you. So, yes. so let's look at some of the things that you've done uh, to turn your life around and, you know, build a successful life and a successful career, um, because it... I mean, was, was there some kind of turning point for you where 
um, as you got older that you thought, um, I don't know, you tell me, was there some kind of turning point there? Well, I know there was a turning point, but one of the one of the questions I hope the book poses is, uh, you know, how how did I beat the odds? Because the you know the I mentioned the Aces study in the in the in the book that you know there is there are statistics on people who have the strikes against them that I have, and and I I really did beat colossal odds that that there is by any reckoning I uh, I'm 68 now I should be either dead or marginalized, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the fact that I've become quite successful and have been married 20, 30, how many years, 29 years to a wonderful woman, have three wonderful kids, uh, you know, this is just, it's just a statistical aberration. And so the question the book sort of leaves hanging is, how did it happen? And and, uh, I have my own answer, I sort of let the reader decide for him or herself but uh, my answer is is the power of love and the power of connection and and uh, whether it's to a person or to you know for me Samuel Johnson was a was a power point of connection and he's a dead writer you know and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, a piece of music I sort of fell in love with God when I was a little boy going to church and God was just an imaginary friend for me but I you know it, it was very powerful for me and and uh you know so connection to whatever god is connection to friends connection to um uh, to certain uh people and places and you know the this this power of connection is and and i think you know if you look around that's always the secret to resilience is that my high school english teacher got me to write a novel i mean it it it, it is always it, connection in some form or another that spells the difference between, you know, people who, who succumb to adversity and, and people who don't. And, and then, But then, then the question quickly comes, well, why? You know, how come you found connection and someone else doesn't? Right. And, hold, that, and, hold that thought because yeah. we, I want to take a break and I want to go into this a little bit more uh, okay. in depth and I don't want to have to interrupt you. Okay. So um, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. My guest is Dr. Edward Hallowell. His new book, Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Anti-Icky Poo, the product that gets the stink out, we cover the world of animals. This week, June 10th, it's Harmonic Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from the Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle in the studio. They'll have their acutonic forks, Tibetan bowls and bells, chimes, didge, pua, rattle, ready to do remote treatments for you and or your animal friends. So plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 11. At Sundown Communications, we find that most of our clients are brilliant at what they do, but they lack the time and resources to write and create business messaging that delivers results. 
That's where we come in, providing a diverse range of professional copywriting services for fresh strategic web content, PR, advertising and promotion, marketing, speeches, and much more. Call us today so you can focus on what you do best, and we'll do the rest. Call 800-495-7617. That's 800-495-7617. Coming June 18th on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. For too many people, the need to make a living is a source of angst. We feel trapped in wage slavery, afraid to make the big move. We numb our true talents. We feel adrift, lacking purpose. Career expert Maya Dewar designed her six keys to liberation-based livelihood as a framework to help you break through that pattern fog and set you on a positive new direction to find your highest calling and work that matters. Tune in Monday at noon Pacific time for the live show or 6 a.m. on Fridays and catch up with past shows at conversationslive.net. Chat with Vicky on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. Thanks for listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. Follow me on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. My guest is Dr. Edward Hallowell. He is a psychiatrist and author uh, who's written many acclaimed books. He's also a leading authority in the field of ADHD. And uh, this uh, new book is called Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. And it is a memoir. But um, I think a lot of people would appreciate this, even maybe some of your peers. Would you agree, Dr. Hallowell? Oh, yeah. I I, I I, I like to think it's a book that would appeal to anyone who likes stories, you know, because it's a it's it's a story book and and a, a book about beating the odds. Yeah, well, you are a storyteller. Um, I'm I'm going to have a question coming up about that in just a minute, but I want to just continue with what we were talking about before the break because it is key, you say, to overcoming odds and and making a good life for yourself. Um, you overcame the odds of uh, living with um, a mother who was an alcoholic, an abusive stepfather, father who's manic depressive, and um, have built a very successful life and career. And so you said that the key thing is connection. And then Mm. you posed the question, but why do some people have connection and others don't? And Mm. I think especially today when people think they're connected through social media, but that's a really very superficial kind of connection. So yeah. share your thoughts on connection, if you would. Well, I think the point you just made is such an important one that uh, uh, the, the human moment is is taking a backseat to the electronic moment, and the, the human moment is, is so much more powerful. What, 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 what you get face-to-face is just a hundred times more powerful than than a than a text. Not I'm I'm not anti-technology by no. any means. I, I think technology can supplement and amplify and buttress, but but it's the it's the human connection that is by far the the strongest, and that's what saved me. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the canine moment can be wonderful too, you know. So, <laughs> I agree with you on that, and Eric's <laughs> nodding his head too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, but I think you know I just think the the living moment is is, is preferable to the electronic moment and, and far far more powerful and and uh, 
But why did I find those and others not? And I think then it comes down to uh, luck of genes, personality, you know, the fact that I was cute helped me. You know, I was a cute little boy, and, and uh, uh, that helped me, you know, and, and uh, I don't know who I have to thank for that, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, so there's there's a lot of luck involved, and, and um, um, you know, there's... Uh, um, you, you know that that uh, and why did I? I'm one of the very few people you'd ever find who can say I never had a bad teacher, and I had many wonderful teachers, gifted teachers, teachers sent from heaven. I mean, so you know, there's 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 a fair amount of luck in in uh, in beating the odds too. I, right. I and how how I, much of that though do you think is outlook the way that you look at things because some people can look at the same view and one goes oh this is terrible the trees are blocking the view and somebody else can look and say oh my gosh look at all those beautiful trees yeah yeah and and that's where i think i have to thank my dear old mom for all her problems she was a inveterate optimist she always looked on, on the bright side she she'd always say look at the bluebird of happiness was her refrain and and she Pass that along through her genes. I mean, it just uh, it's in it's in my blood. She'd call herself a cockeyed optimist, and um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, it's my mother's favorite suffered. song. <laughs> uh, yeah, South yeah, Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you say also uh, faith helped you too, but some people don't have a faith per se. So, how would how would somebody go about creating this connection? I mean, how if they're sitting there thinking, well, it's all very well for you guys sitting there talking about it. How do I create this connection? Well, you mean connection to God or faith? Well, to, to other people, to... Well, that, that you can do. I mean, the, the, and, and if the, the spiritual connection, which, which, I, which I do have, if people don't have that, and I live in a part of the country where most people don't, uh, you know, I, I, I go to the Episcopal Church and... and I'm I'm very unique among my friends in doing that, and and they say how can you, how can you believe in God, and and I say well, do you believe in love, and they say yes, and I say well, God is love, so you know that's my answer. So, so so, but it but to to have no connection, is is really dangerous. I mean, you know, the Surgeon General called social isolation the number one medical problem in the country today. So you know so. So if you feel isolated, you you immediately should do something about it. Right. Uh, you can get a dog. You absolutely dogs are the world's best connectors. Dogs will make friends with anyone. So get yourself to a dog shelter today. If if you feel isolated, anyone can, you know, get a dog. I mean, uh, you know, dogs are un. And if you must have a cat, have a cat. But uh, you know, I, I, you know, I. I so a pet, I mean, uh, walk into a Starbucks and talk to the barista, you know, I mean, these people are lonely, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you can you can go online and join a chat room and try to, and you get a little bit dicey when you try to socialize, but uh, uh, go to a, a gym, uh, go to a, you know, a church or synagogue, that's free group therapy. You don't have to believe anything to go to a religious ceremony. You know, they don't require any more atheists in, in religious ceremonies than you can imagine. And, mm -hmm. and so um, just you just want to be around people. 
Right. You, you, you really, I call it the other vitamin C, vitamin connect. And, and it's really <laughs> good. For, it, 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 it's really good for you. I right. Mean, you know, the, the science has really proven this. You know, you, you, you really do do better in life, you know, if, if you get your daily doses of vitamin connect. And, and today's world, people don't get enough of it. And that's why they just feel the zest has gone out of their lives. Right, right. So there was a, a segment in the book that I, I just wanted to touch on real quick because it was a quite a significant turning point for you where you were thinking of taking your PhD in English. And, yes. And Alfred said, oh, no, you don't. Don't do that. You'll end up hating books. And here you are, yes. a 20-something published author. <laughs> so very quickly, um, what, what was the importance of that turning point for you? Well, William Alfred, my wonderful professor who I had as a tutor for two years at Harvard. He uh, just the wisest man I ever knew. I mean, he, instead of encouraging me to do what he'd done, get a PhD in English, he knew that that wasn't the, the path for me, that I would be much better in a hands-on field like medicine and, and allow me to pursue my writing on, on my own without the self-consciousness of academia surrounding me. And, and my goodness, was he ever right. It, it just freed me up right. so I could, I could spread my wings and fly and not have, you know, have this inner critic second-guessing my every move, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> I think he gave you good advice there. Yes, so I, I, I want to let listeners know, because we're right at the end of our segment here, but I want to let listeners know that you are coming to Seattle on book tour. You'll be here on June 15th at University Bookstore uh, in Seattle. And uh, you can call 206-634-3400 uh, for more information on that. But um, So if they have questions, they can bring them along <laughs> when they see you um, at University Bookstore in Seattle, June 15th. Um, we've only got 30 seconds, uh, Dr. Hallowell, so a quick, quick final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with. Oh, just uh, what a lovely interviewer, interviewer you are. You, oh. you, have, uh, you, you really you have a lovely touch about you, and I, I think your listeners are lovely, uh, lucky to connect with you. Oh, thank you so much. I, it's a favorite hour of my week. I love to connect with them and our wonderful guests. So um, is, is there a website where we can find out more about you? Sure, drhallowell.com, drnocurryhallowell.com. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. Great book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. And you. And the book, again, is called Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. It really is a book full of love and some humor in it. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So you can find out more about uh, Dr. Edward Hallowell at his website, uh, Dr. Hallowell. And uh, that brings us to the end of today's show. So um, if you have questions, feedback, comments on today's show, you know where you can reach me. Info at conversationslive.net. And um, you can also find me uh, by, via telephone at 800-495-7617. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Vicky St. Clair and Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicky St. Clair. And uh, if you have any suggestions for summer reading this year, send them over to me. We may feature them on the show. Thanks for being with us, and I uh, appreciate you spending this hour with us. See you next week. Until then, live well, live strong. Hi, this is Vicki St. Clair. If you have a business, service, or event and would like to deliver your message to a large audience, call me at 425-269-4772. Let Conversations Live shine the spotlight on you.
Call 425-269-4772.